Good evening and welcome to the End Times Daily Show 2.0, A History of Now, Making Sense of 2020. I'm Chris Paradox, your host and humble servant. Oh, beloveds, that's it now. Last show of the week. We've um, completed this uh, series of TED Talks with question and answers. Um, breaking down, elaborating and articulating how the world works, how it actually works, um, the nature of reality. And today we're going to finish off with what is actually the most important one. If you haven't seen any of the other um, shows this week, please do go back and watch them on the replay. But if you get this one, <laughs> if you receive um, what I'm going to talk about today, the rest kind of doesn't matter, to be honest, because what's how the world works and the nature of reality does provide the uh, context and um, structure for how humans work. Uh, but what I'm going to say to you today is enough. If you, if you understand what I say to you today, if you put the things I say into practice, uh, you can self-actualize. So that's good, isn't it? It's kind of fractal. We've had five days, but this one day really encompasses everything. So just to uh, summarize where we've been. Uh, so Monday, um, episode 90, 91 and 92, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, I broke down how the world works by telling you the historical record, the facts of how uh, a group of families, the wealthiest, most powerful families in the world from about the mid 19th century um, created uh, our education system, our financial system, our uh, food system, medicine, energy, media, and took over our political system. Um, and those families are the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the British Royal Family, the Dutch Royal Family, uh, a few other, a couple of other ones uh, who then sort of parlayed their influence into uh, some of the deep state unelected organizations who decide what we're going to do in the world, uh, the Bilderberg Group, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, and they have been joined in the last 20 years by the tech billionaires, um, Gates, Zuckerberg, Bezos, Page and Brin from Google, and Jack Dorsey from Twitter, uh, and Elon Musk. So you've got the, the people who own about 80% of the world's wealth. The people I've just described own about 80% of the world's wealth, probably more. <laughs> it's, it's probably closer to about 90. Um, some of them we know about, the billionaires, uh, the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds kind of went underground and used proxies to do their thing. And they have been socially engineering uh, through rewriting history, through propaganda, through mind control, psyops, myths, false narratives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, our entire society. So whereas most people believe that these systems and authorities uh, exist for the benefit of the people, 
uh, that's absolutely not the case. All the systems of this world, all the authorities of this world are sock puppets, as I like to say, of the ruling elite. And the ruling elites basically view the rest of humanity like a factory farmer views his cattle. Uh, they don't want us all to die just yet because otherwise they couldn't exploit us. They need us for, to a certain degree, uh, but they absolutely don't care about our health, well-being, spirituality, relationships, anything. Um, so, you know, the first part of the um, the talks was about just getting clear on that. The mo one of the most frustrating things for me is um, it's so obvious to me, and it has been obvious for 18 years, <laughs> that the emperor wears no clothes, that it's all... A, a scam it's all created to let us believe that we're free and that our authorities care about us um it, it's just so obvious it's not a conspiracy theory it's all historical fact everything i've told you is historical fact um and i, I know that if people just understood that uh for example we wouldn't have gone along with coronavirus the reason we went along with the covid scam was because people believe the media, the governments, it's just ridiculous. So let's stop believing them. <laughs> um, and then on yesterday, Thursday, I talked about um, the nature of reality. And this is where we get fundamental. This is underneath how the world works. And the reason the world works like that is because the nature of reality is that um, it's a unified field, yet it appears separate. So human beings, believe in separation and I'm going to talk a lot more about that now and uh, because of that the truth is is that there's only one of us here one consciousness one being one awareness one energy and we are all God pretending or God who's forgotten their God or God who's pretending not to be God because that is the only way oneness can know itself by pretending to be separate um, and uh, because there's only one of us, <laughs> the golden rule given to us by sweet baby Jesus, do unto others as you would have it done unto you, is the golden rule because it is being done unto you. What you do for others, you do for yourself. What you do to others, you do to yourself. Any negativity, judgment, condemnation, blame, attack that you send out into the world to anybody else ultimately returns to you because you're doing it to yourself we're all doing it to ourselves all man's inhumanity to man every trespass is us doing it to ourselves there's no one else basically <laughs> so um that basically is the root of all morality or ethics is that treat others as you would like to be treated because you are treating yourself so trying to clarify that, that's the reason to be a, a, a kind, loving, generous, compassionate person. Because when you're not, you are hurting yourself. You might not be consciously aware of it, but you are aware of it because all every time you attack others, judge, condemn, blame, it returns home. All thoughts return home, all projections return home. So even though you might not be consciously aware of it, you feel it. And do you know how you feel it? In what well, you feel it ultimately is guilt. But guilt for those people who aren't, aren't very awake or very conscious or don't have clarity about their being, 
99.99% of people, these sort of the feeling of guilt is sort of submerged and uh, you, you don't know it's guilt. You, we just normally feel our trespasses coming back at us as bad moods. You know, when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you know, when you just feel sad, you know, when you just don't feel good, you know, when you just feel narky, you know, when you just feel grumpy, you know, bad moods, bad moods are the subconscious karmic effects of sending out judgment, blame, condemnation, guilt, shame, bullying, all the negative things that we think about other people and say about other people and do to other people come back to us and we feel them as bad moods. And the reason I know this is that since I started practicing the practices that I'm going to talk about at the end that relieve this situation, I don't have bad moods anymore. <laughs> I, I honestly do not have bad moods anymore. Because I've practiced hard for three years and I pretty much, not completely, but pretty much don't judge. I pretty much take full responsibility for how I feel, my happiness, my sadness, my fear, whatever it might be. I know that I cause my state and I know that if I'm feeling anything I don't want to feel, all I have to do is... Be here now, return to presence, and I can return to peace, joy, and love. So, you know, this is what I'm going to help you with, is reclaiming your power to choose your state. When you have the power to choose your state, you stop blaming other people for anything, because you know that your state is your responsibility. Everything under my skin is mine. That attitude, everything under my skin is mine, is a big part of the stuff I'm going to talk about later. Um... But that is the key to recognizing that all thoughts return home, all judgments return home, all projections return home, and they return home as not feeling good, bad moods. So now you know why people have bad moods. It's the return of the stuff they send out, the original and best. What goes around comes around. What goes around comes around. It's that simple because there's only one of us. It's all a cycle. It's all a circle. There's nowhere for it to go except for it to come back home. Understanding that will help you be a good person. <laughs> you are a good person. We're all good people because we're all perfect children of God. But it will help you act like the good person you are rather than act like the mental patient that runs your life. <laughs> Uh, and speaking of which, and so today we're going to be talking about exactly that, uh, how humans work. And the best summary of how human, humans work was given to us by the wonderful Jamie Cato, who has, has the most hilarious, succinct and pithy description of the human condition. We are all a wise guru in charge of a mental patient. And anyone who's not a narcissistic sociopath can would agree with that, would resonate with that. Uh, we all know that we're capable of really beautiful, generous, loving, kind, 
thoughts, speech, and behavior. Uh, but we're also even more capable <laughs> of selfish, greedy, lying, cheating, judging, condemning, hypocrisy, right? And insanity. You tend to see more of that in the world than the other. Um, and so, but that's a hopeful way of describing us because, it, you know, it starts with the truth. We are all a wise guru. We are all a perfect child of God. We are all one with God. We are all divine beings. That's the first bit. That's the truth. The second bit is that there exists within our divinity, our, our pure consciousness, pure awareness, a mad person. And that mad person, we all know it, is the ego or the false self. The self that thinks it's a self, but it actually doesn't exist. So I'm going to break down for you how the mental patient is formed, given that we are all actually God. We're actually perfect children of God. That's the truth. How is it that we are possessed and puppeted by a mental patient? I'm going to tell you that story in a minute or describe that process. Um, but I, I need to define my terms um, because pe ego is a word that everybody knows. And what it people people say things like I haven't got an ego because the sort of common definition of ego is big headedness, arrogance, selfishness. And although all of those things are definitely aspects of ego, first of all, bollocks. <laughs> Anyone who says they haven't got an ego is a liar and is lying to themselves. Everyone has an ego because this is what an ego is. An ego or the false self is the self, the you that believes you are your thoughts, emotions, sensations and perceptions. That's the ego. The part of your consciousness that has identified with and attached itself to the random arising thoughts in your in your awareness and your consciousness to the triggered or even pleasurable emotions in your awareness remember we we can't experience anything without awareness we can't experience anything without consciousness in deep sleep, we don't experience anything because we are not aware of anything. So all of our thoughts that we think are us, you know, the voice in the head, you think it's you, don't you? Let's be honest. We think that voice is who we are because we're identified with thought. Eckhart Tolle was the most famous person to bring this into the light of human consciousness. It, you know, he called it, um, the you know, identification with thought identification with the thinker with the thinking mind that identification with the thinking mind is ego is the false self it doesn't really exist there is no ego there is no false self there is just the appearance of a self that happens when we identify with the voice in the head the monkey mind the triggered emotions of the wounded child uh, and the sensations and perceptions of the body that is the full self because the true self is the one that doesn't identify with those things but is simply aware of them that simply notices them and this is what spiritual practice is spiritual practice is 
making a home in the breath, mindfulness, whatever you want to, whatever technique or practice or meditation you use. But the purpose of meditation is to sit back and relax on the throne of awareness, the seat of the soul, and be the observer, be the watcher, be the witness. Witness the thoughts arising thoughts and emotions, feelings, perceptions, sensations, just witness them. Because when you do that, you realize, oh, I'm not the ego. I'm not my thoughts and emotions. I'm not any of those things. I am the one who sees those things. I am the one who is aware of those things. This is the most fundamental understanding of yourself you could possibly have. You are not your thoughts and emotions. You are the one who is aware of your thoughts and emotions. So that's fundamental, yeah? As long as you accept that, then everything I'm going to say to you is going to be helpful. If you don't accept that, everything I'm going to say is not going to make any sense and it won't help you at all. So I invite you to just, just look at yourself, just observe that all of the thoughts in your head you they, you can't be your thoughts in your head. You must be the subject. You must be the one who is aware of them. You can't be your emotions because there is someone who is aware of your emotions. Yeah, you, you can't be your car because you are aware of your car. You can't even be your body because you're aware of your body. You cannot be an object. There are subjects and objects. An object is something that is known by a subject, a being with consciousness. Thoughts are objects of consciousness. Emotions are objects of consciousness. Perceptions, sensations, feelings, they're all objects known by awareness. That's how we know about them. <laughs> That's how we know that there's such a thing as thought or emotion, because there is something that is aware of them. That thing that um, is aware of them is the one consciousness, the divine mind that you are. And it is in you. That it is who you are. And thoughts and emotions and sensations are arising in the divine mind. And the only, only mistake we make is we, instead of just witnessing, we attach we identify, we say, I am that thought. So we get caught by it. So when we're afraid, when we have a fearful thought, we think we are in danger, but we're not in danger because we're eternal and divine. There's no, nothing can damage us. But when you believe you are the thought, then you can be afraid. Nothing can hurt us as well. So when you feel a painful emotion, you feel that you're in pain, you feel that you're suffering, but actually, suffering doesn't exist in the divine mind there can be no suffering there can be no failure there can be nothing negative because it's just one free eternal consciousness but it's only the identification with thought and emotion that causes all suffering and that is the ego that's all the ego is it doesn't really exist it's just identification with the objects of consciousness okay so hopefully that is clear because um you know <laughs> you'll never hear about this in any kind of media you'll never hear about this anywhere other than uh, a, a hardcore 
non-dual spiritual satsang. This is not a hardcore non-dual satsang. This is a a bloke talking to you about how humans work. Uh, so hopefully it's a bit more relatable than it would be if you had to go and sit with Rupert Spira or Sadhguru or someone like that. Um, because there's a lot of um, the people who do that tend to have a lot of beliefs about spirituality. I don't like beliefs. I don't want anyone to believe anything. I want people to look, observe, understand, research, know for themselves. So that's why I'm saying to you, I'm saying all these things to you. You don't have to accept it. Just look. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, allow yourself to imagine what, how the world would look if what I'm saying is true. Just as for the first three days, uh, what I said completely concurs with how the world is looking, what's happening now, it explains everything. What I said about the nature of reality explains everything. <laughs> and what I say about human beings explains everything. You don't have to believe it, just look at the evidence. <laughs> okay, so... Um, yeah, so how, how how was the mental patient born? How, how, where does the mental patient come from? So the, the one thing we all have in common is that we were born and that we were babies. And uh, the fundamental understanding between the, the wise guru and the mental patient, the wise guru is the God self that knows that only love is real. That's what makes it a wise guru. It knows the truth. It's sane. It recognizes and remembers its oneness with everything, with God. Um, the mental patient is the part that suffers from separation anxiety. That is the human condition. If you wanted to put the human condition into two words, separation anxiety. And this operates on two levels, a spiritual level and a, a very human level. So the, the analogy I use is a, a baby is conceived and grows in the womb, right? And for a baby, the wound is basically heaven. <laughs> it's, all its needs are taken care of. It's in a sort of sack of fluid. So it doesn't even have to breathe. The mother feeds it everything it needs. And hopefully if the mother is in a pleasant not in a terrible situation uh, can be nice and relaxed and so the the baby is just getting good oxytocin good hormones good nutrition and it's not disturbed and so in the ideal situation the wound is heaven and this is the parallel to the fall all cultures all over the world have a myth about a fall from heaven uh, obviously, in the Judeo-Christian Judeo religion, it's obviously Adam and Eve uh, being kicked out of the Garden of Eden. That's our myth about it. But many, many people have the myth of the fall from heaven. And the reason that so many cultures have that myth is because it's a deeply uh, genetic memory for our species. Actually, all species, because pretty much all mammals anyway, all mammals are born of the mother all mammals grow in a womb. I guess, you know, reptiles and birds grow in an egg and an egg's the same kind of thing, but let's just say mammals. <laughs> it's a deep evolutionary memory 
that we experience birth, moving from the heaven of the womb to the hell of being ejected from the womb. And that is why we have this myth of the fall, because for nine months, the baby's in heaven, doesn't have to do anything, everything's taken care of, it's heaven. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, bang, it's pummeled, crushed, and forcibly expelled through a tiny aperture, crushed and squeezed like out of a toothpaste tube for hours. Can you just imagine? Imagine being a baby with awareness, with consciousness. Babies have brains. So there's some prehension there. There's some knowing of environment. There's some sensation of environment. So the baby feels pain and the baby feels fear. You can be sure of that. And all of a sudden, bam, smash, crush. Hell, basically, it's basically being kicked, forced out of heaven. That's what it feels like for the baby. And eventually, <laughs> if the head's first, it sees a light at the end of the tunnel. That's where it comes from. Um, and plops into the world. Usually, you know, I know lots of uh, lots of women are, are very wisely having home births and water births and much more natural births and births that aren't so traumatic for the baby. But in our Western medical tradition, which has been set up by the Rockefellers and has nothing to do with the good of human beings, remember, it's brought into the world with forceps and men in white coats and obviously some women as well, but bright lights and if you can just try to imagine the dark wetness and peace of the womb, crush, bang, bang, smash to pieces for hours, then you come out into that, into that, like the, almost like a mental hospital, bright white with massive beings, noise, sounds, smells that you've never, never smelt heard before, yeah? absolute nightmare just think about it it must be a nightmare from the point of view of the baby and the first thing the baby experiences i'm drowning <laughs> that's literally all of our first experience i'm drowning because it's been breathing water like a fish and all of a sudden bleh, it's got to get rid of that water and it's got to take its first breath so can you imagine <gasps> that's its first experience. So basically, birth is inherently traumatic and it perfectly parallels the soul's separation from God. As I explained yesterday, God divided itself up and pretended, half of itself, let's say, pretended that it was not God. It was something else. So it forgot itself. That's the original fall. That's the actual fall. The fall is the God's imagination pretense that God uh, chose in order to know itself. But in choosing that, it had to call upon itself the darkness. If you're, if there's nothing but light, the only way you can know yourself as light is to call the darkness. And that's what God did. God, God called evil the darkness so that it could know good light. And that part of God that forgot itself went from 
Eternal Bliss, Satchitananda 2. What the fuck is going on? That's the original fall, and that's exactly what happens with a baby. In heaven, in the womb, all is one. Out of the out of the vagina, I'm in hell. Fall from heaven to hell. They absolutely recapitulate themselves. And that is why fundamentally um, that is the birth of what we call the wounded child. So that but the wounded child operates at the soul level. So our soul, the part that knows it's one with God, is a little bit confused because it, it has that forgetting. When it comes into the body, it has that forgetting. And then the baby falls. And so that the wound operates at the soul level and then at a physical level for the baby. They're just mirrors of each other. They're parallels for each other. So we all come into the world with this wound, which is basically. Why did you kick me out of heaven? God, goddess, mother. Same thing. God, goddess, mother. Why did you kick me out of heaven? Kick me out of the womb. The soul asked God, why did you separate from me or why am I separate from you? And the baby asked the mother, why did you kick me out of heaven? The womb? Yeah, it's the same thing. That is the fundamental existential state of every human being. What's wrong with me? I must be unlovable. I can't be good enough. I can't be worthy because mummy, God, kicked me out of heaven. That is literally, fundamentally, the core wound that we all share. We know that um, victims of abuse, particularly children, victims of terrible sexual, physical abuse, we know from millions of examples that a child will blame itself if because of the the nature of a child and a parent the child sees the parent as god so if the parent is abusing the child the child doesn't think can't think the parent is evil or a an abuser the child knows that what's being done to it is horrible but the child says, I must have done something to deserve this. I must be a piece of shit to be treated like a piece of shit. That is why so many of us have so self-esteem, because the, 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 the brain and consciousness and psyche of a child cannot objectively look at the behavior of its abuser and say, that's wrong behavior you are an abuser you shouldn't be doing that a child can't do that a child will think well they are big they're a god there might as well be a god to the child so a god can't be an abuser a god can't be wrong i must have done something i must have done something to deserve this that's why the deepest wound that we all share and the absolute worst uh experience for a human being is shame and guilt that is the core of the wound we feel ashamed and guilty for what we did wrong to cause mummy god to kick us out of the room and we have this deep deep belief that we're not lovable 
mummy doesn't love us they kick god doesn't love me kicks us out of the wood not good enough not worthy yeah that's where it comes from i think that's to me that is so crystal clear and obviously the truth but if you would like to uh, if you have another idea i'd love to hear it um so that's the core wound that's what we're all born with right so the wounded child's there regardless of what kind of childhood you had regardless of what your parents were like regardless of anything else everybody has that which is why everybody has a mental patient no one is born pristine like an avatar no one i don't i don't buy that avatar shit even the indigo children i, I do accept that some souls when they incarnate into a body retain more memory of the higher dimensions there are plenty of people who are connected to the higher dimensions absolutely i'm not saying that's not true but they still go through that traumatic experience of birth and so the wound is still there what did i do to deserve this every soul has that feeling yeah there must be something wrong with me and and then so so then then the following happens so again the first thing a baby does after it takes its first breath Pretty much every baby i know people are going to tell me oh my baby they never cry but generally babies start crying what is what is about when a baby cries and we all know for a little thing like that a little beautiful little angelic thing like that boy can they raise some hell wah, wah. have you ever been next to a baby when it's crying it is so powerful what is that uh, we know they're crying because either they're in pain they're hungry yeah in some way they're in some discomfort and because they can't speak or think and they're they're basically just a creature at this stage uh, obviously they have to alert their caregivers all mammals are like this yeah they're, so we know that the baby as a mammal needs to alert its caregiver but what is the actual what's going on when the baby feels discomfort and it goes Wah! that is the beginning of something that absolutely dominates every human life that is the beginning of projection pain projection that is literally the baby's uncomfortable experiencing some kind of pain hunger missed itself whatever it is or just been born into the world and is experiencing pain emotional or physical and it is the fundamental coping mechanism for all human creatures all human beings are number one first and in many cases only coping mechanism is for pain is to project it is to get rid of it to get it out and the first way we learn to do that is wah, wah, wah. that's what it is it's pain projection which also serves the purpose of getting the caregiver to come in and give the baby help but you might have noticed plenty of times the mummy can mummy can be holding the baby and singing songs and cuddling it and da, 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 and the, the wearing continues because as long as there is pain there the projection will continue yeah so pain projection is our fundamental coping mechanism we all do it we all have it we all start when we were babies as the baby gets older terrible twos is the typical start of this uh the um very sort of brute force unsubtle form of 
projection, which is wah, becomes slightly more sophisticated. And it's no, no, ugly, bad. You know, as the baby starts to articulate itself, it learns to articulate its displeasure, its grumpiness. <laughs> and that is just the same thing as crying, it, that pain projection. So we start projecting it in that way. Then as the baby goes through school, we all know how mean school kids are because they're they're learning they're 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 exploring basically how to cope with pain pain is pain and fear are the two most fundamental driving forces of life um they overpower everything else for good reason so before i carry on let me just a little segue into this um we know that as again as mammals we operate on the pleasure principle we are genetically psychologically biologically designed to move away from pain and towards pleasure pain is a warning signal that something is wrong with the organism so we don't do things that are painful or if we are in pain we seek healing that is just obvious yeah so so um uh, and because of that and that is a fundamental driver it will override any sort of conscious ideas of doing things and then fear is pretty much the same fear is the, a response to a threat so in terms of biology we're afraid of fun, every baby is afraid of loud noises and heights why is that because loud noises represent a threat if you look back in evolution and heights obviously without that goes without saying but then we develop fears you know a psychological fear separate from biological fear but um, pain is a signal that something's wrong fear is a signal that there's some kind of threat and we are biologically adapted to avoid our fear and get away from pain or project it so that's i've just described the fundamental coping me mechanism of projection i will talk in a bit about the fundamental well i'll tell you the fundamental um coping mechanism for fear is denial <sighs> that's why when you try to talk to people about something they don't want to look at covid blm ruling elite they they living in denial Denial is the coping mechanism for fear. Projection is the coping mechanism for pain. I'm hoping that you're, <laughs> you're understanding both yourself and everyone you know, because you, everything I've said, we all know this is true of everybody. <laughs> this is true of everybody. Everybody is fundamentally tries to avoid their pain. I've just described the mechanism. Everybody fundamentally tries to avoid their fear. I've just described the mechanism and you know it already. You've seen it. You've seen when somebody doesn't want to face something, they're afraid to face it, denial. So as we grow up, we simply become more sophisticated in our pain projection and in our ability to delude ourselves in denial. That, that's, that's what human beings are. We basically, this is why human beings are lost and blind. This is why the ruling elites have been able to engineer society over the last 150 years to the degree that most people believe that a man stand walking along the road completely naked bollocks swinging in the wind is wearing clothes we are lost and blind because 
um, we project our pain. And so this is what I say about pain is a signal that something's wrong, right? So when, when you, when you project it, you don't, you don't learn the lesson. Pain is a teacher. It teaches you. We're supposed to, or, or, or a mature adult understands that and understands that it needs to basically embrace its pain. This is what, um, you know, athletes, bodybuilders, special forces, soldiers, gymnasts, anyone who has to train their body to be, you know, at a level of mastery understands that they have to go through pain and they have to embrace it in order to get to where they want to go. And so pain is our greatest teacher. And when we are able to be with our pain, and that's what I'm going to talk about a bit later, when we're able to be with our pain, we learn from it. And when we learn from it, it goes away. That's how we heal pain. And I'm, I'm really talking about emotional pain here. Obviously, physical pain, we heal by rest, nutrition, <laughs> and in fact, the human immune system. The body is a self-healing organism, right? So the body will heal itself if we give it rest and if we give it the right nutrition. And it might need some herbs and, you know, but the body can heal itself. So we're talking fundamentally about emotional pain, psychological pain, which is by far the majority of the pain that we, we experience. Most of our pain is in our emotions and in our mind. And that pain um, is what the, the one we project all the time. Um, and that the fact that we project it keeps us infantile. That's why I'm always saying that spiritually speaking, this our species is about two years old. It's because no one teaches us because the society is not set up to seek, teach us. If we lived in a healthy society that cared about human beings, everything I'm saying to you now would be taught to kids. Kids would be taught when you experience pain, sit down, breathe, go into yourself, bring awareness, bring consciousness, embrace the pain, see what it has to teach you, learn from it. Because as soon as you learn the lesson, the emotional pain is telling you it goes away. That is the natural healing process. Whatever emotional wounds you have, if you can bring witnessing consciousness to them, awareness to them, if you can allow them to be while you simply be with them, just be with your pain. If you just be with it without judging it, trying to get rid of it, trying to suppress it or projecting it. If you just be with it, it will teach you. It will teach you about life. It will teach you about yourself. It will teach you. That's what it's there for. And once you've got the lesson, once you've really got the lesson, the pain will go. You won't feel that emotional pain anymore. Many people have experienced this. I've experienced this um, in a transcendent way. Um, but that is how to deal with pain. The way to deal with pain is the opposite, the direct opposite to the way that we actually deal with it. Because we deal with it by get out, get away, get away, project. And we project as judgment, blame, condemnation, attack, criticism demonization, dehumanization, all of the things that make scapegoats of other people, make other people the cause of our pain, other people the problem. 
that is us projecting our pain onto others and when we project it we don't learn from it so it doesn't go away and it keeps coming back so we keep projecting vicious cycle that is humanity projecting our pain and it's two-year-old it's it's we behave because we do that that's exactly like a two-year-old no yeah yeah you did it you're bad i didn't do anything two-year-olds never it's never their fault they are perpetual victims and we are perpetual victims because we're always projecting our pain and making somebody else responsible. And then on the fear side, fear teaches us there's a threat. Now, physically for the body, that's very important. It's a survival mechanism, just like pain is. We should, the body is supposed to recognize threats. Again, in evolutionary terms, so you don't get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or fall off a cliff or um get in a fight um that could lead to your death so fear is in the body is fine you know bodily fear physical fear is fine but again 99 percent of the fear we experience is purely psychological it's the fear of separation anxiety it's the false self the one that is identified with all the folks and all the emotions that lives in fear. It swims in an ocean of fear. We are filled with fear, filled with it. As long as you believe you are a separate self alone in a universe this big, on a planet this big, with this many people, with this many ways for you to die, with this many ways for you to be hurt, with this many ways for you to lose, you're going to be living in fear. So it's 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 preposterous for me for anyone not to understand that. As long as you think you're a separate being, as long as you believe you're the full self, as long as you believe your thoughts and your emotions, you must live in fear. You must. There can be no other way. So when people say I'm not afraid, that's denial. Um, part of growing up is understanding how much fear you feel all the time. Here's an opportunity for a story. This is how I discovered it. Just after I lost my leg, uh, it was in the, I lost my leg in May, 2008, at uh, just after Christmas uh, 2009, the following year, uh, I was living in Peace Haven in Brighton with the lovely Sarah and Marianne and Andy from Lamb and andy arranged uh for a peruvian shaman to come to our beautiful garden we set up a massive teepee and we took ayahuasca and i'd taken it uh, a couple of times before that um and um so yeah i was up for it and then over oh, there were about 20 people and uh if you've taken ayahuasca you kind of know what i'm talking about if you haven't it's a traditional uh, South American shamanic um, concoction, <laughs> natural concoction, which tastes absolutely disgusting beyond anything you can imagine. <laughs> and it's the only drug that when you come up on it, it's a nightmare a lot of the time. And then the come down is ecstatic. <laughs> it's the opposite of most drugs, because what it does is if you, you should, if you have some intention or question, it will answer your question or answer your intention. Uh, it's like a nature spirit, basically. It's like a nature spirit that 
sort of combines with your spirit to show you what you need to see. It's incredibly powerful and, you know, they've been using it traditionally. Basically, ayahuasca, most of modern medicine comes from stuff they found in the Amazon. You know, I can't, some ridiculous proportion of medicine comes from the Amazon. And when the um, scientists first went there and the, the native people said, oh, this is aspirin, this is this, this is this, this is antibiotic, da, 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 da. they were like, how do you know all these dozens, if not hundreds of different plants and, and barks and things, how do you know? And they basically said, the ayahuasca told us. So it's, it's a nature teacher. And um, so what was my intention? I can't even remember what my intention was, but anyway, took, had a drink um, and took, takes about 20 minutes or something to come up, come up, that's a joke. Uh, when it hit me, it's more accurate, I literally lay on my side and curled into the fetal position and started shivering and shaking like that. And I was like that for about two hours because my internal experience, it was like the, the veils were pulled back and it was revealed to me that who I actually was, this 41-year-old father of two who's, you know, <laughs> lived an adult, full adult life doing full adult things, was actually a scared little seven-year-old boy. I, I knew, I absolutely experienced the truth of my psychological and emotional reality. I was a scared little boy. I'd been deluded my, deluding myself for 40 years. I thought I was smart. I thought I was clever. I thought I was this. I thought I was that. I thought I was this. Poet. Oh, paradox. Uh. But actually, I was a scared little boy. And I literally lay there shivering because I, I just suddenly saw how everything I'd ever done, virtually everything I'd ever done, I'd done in response to fear. I'd done because of my fear. Everything. Everything. That's how I know <laughs> this is true of you too. <laughs> We're all like this. We're all like this. We're all scared little boys and girls in adult bodies. Because as I said, if you believe you're a separate being in this universe with all these ways that you could be hurt, all these ways you could lose, all these ways you could be damaged, you cannot be anything else but full of fear. You just can't be. So this is how I discovered it. And uh, the good news in this story is that after two hours of that, uh, again, I don't, it was, it's a bit of a blur, but at some point, sweet baby Jesus appeared. It, it was in the mail form, but I just like sweet baby Jesus is much better. Sweet baby Jesus appeared, a figure who I knew was the Christ. And no, he didn't look like the, you know, all that. Uh, I can't tell you what he looked like, but I just knew it was the Christ. Uh, appeared and took my hand in this internal, whatever you want to call it, vision. And um, the reason I know it was the Christ was that the love and care <laughs> that was radiating from this being was enough to make me stop in my shaking and my fear and at least sort of go with him. And he, he walked me along and then there was a door and um, he opened the door and said to me, 
in the space of unconditional love, all your fears are meaningless. In the space of unconditional love, all your fears are meaningless. The door that Christ opened was the door to unconditional love or the door to God. Unconditional love, love without conditions, love eternally in all circumstances. All circumstances, love that is never, ever taken away. In other words, God's love, because God is love. God can never not love. And he opened the door and I experienced an epiphany that that is the truth. In the space of unconditional love, all your fears are meaningless. And so I had both experiences. I had the revelation that all my life, everything I'd done was because of fear. I was filled with fear. I was a scared little boy who was pretending to be an adult. And so is everybody else, scared little boy or girl pretending to be an adult. Yet there is a solution to that dilemma, and that solution is unconditional love. And um, I, I was already a devotee of unconditional love before then. A devotee, I wasn't a devotee. I was somebody who recognized that it was the key to everything. From that point, I became a devotee of unconditional love. And then three years ago, I became a disciple of unconditional love, and I actually started practicing it. You know, so you can go from intellectually understanding that unconditional love is the key to everything to really feeling in your heart that unconditional love is the key to everything. And then the third step and the key step is embodying it, living it, practicing it moment to moment, day after day, day after day, never stopping. That's when it becomes you. And um, so that's when I realized that I was full of fear and I wish you the same experience. <laughs> Um, because it's good to be real with oneself. And the thing that we're least real about, the thing that we're in most denial about, is that we're scared little boys and girls, because we have learnt to protect ourselves from the injustices of the world, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. We've learned to put on a costume, to wear a mask, to puff ourselves up, to armour ourselves, and virtue signal and self-aggrandize and um, advertise in our brochure that we are strong and confident and know what we're doing and da -da 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 and da -da 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 -da. and it's all bullshit we're scared little boys and girls who are lost and blind it's liberating it's liberating it's liberating to just let go of the pretense let go of it let go of the pretense, the arrogance, the hypocrisy. Just let go of it. Yep, I'm a scared little boy. Yep, I'm a scared little girl. Everything I do is for fear. I believe at my core that I'm not lovable. I believe at my core that I did something wrong and mummy kicked me out of the womb, <laughs> daddy kicked me out of heaven. Yep, that is how I've been living. Because once you take responsibility and notice that, Okay, yeah, let's let's shift to the solution. Okay, so, yeah, so just to summarize, 
the wounded child, the, the mental patient is caused by the wounded child that we were born with at a soul and physical level, uh, developing its coping mechanisms, projection and for fear, denial, for pain, projection, for fear, denial. Um, there's something else I, should, I need to say about that as well. Oh, yeah. So that's how the mechanism happens. Um, but as I said, if we were brought up in a culture that was wise or evolved, um, we would know all this and we would we would basically parent and educate and organize society in such a way that vulnerable little babies are brought up in a way where their wounded child doesn't develop so that they're a 53 year old baby or a 30 year old baby or a 25 year old baby that's what we are with whatever age you are you're a that age baby <laughs> um, because your infantile wounded child has never grown up it's still projecting it's still denying still projecting its pain still denying it fear so if we're living in a healthy society um we would know what to do to teach children not to project their pain but to be with it and not to deny their fear but to walk through it to face it to be with their fear, fear. Um, and we would not exacerbate the wound we would not make the wound that the baby came up in with separation anxiety i'm not good enough guilt and shame we wouldn't make it worse but we do and with the best intentions in the world all parents do all teachers and school that do all brothers and sisters do all friends do the whole society and culture does this what i'm about to say and and this is what exacerbates the wound this is why we're so wounded this is why we're in our wounded children are so powerful because we've we've literally fed them and enabled them and made them worse by doing this thing it's one single thing we all do we teach children that their 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 worth their validation comes from outside of themselves we teach children the opposite of the truth children babies human beings are intrinsically perfect children of god we need nothing outside of ourselves to validate us nothing we are intrinsically inherently god <laughs> we are god we've forgotten that we're god we don't know that we're god but that doesn't change the fact that we're god and so we are perfect eternally perfect so when you teach a child bad boy good girl because you behaved in the right way when you teach a child that they are good when they do their homework bad when they hit their sister you name it just think of all of the ways that we teach children that their worth and inherent perfection is something decided by others mummy daddy teacher brother sister friend peers culture government 
every single time somebody is led to believe that they are good or bad depending on what someone else thinks about them we are doing that to the wound we're stabbing at the the wound of i'm not good enough and we're saying yeah that's right you're not good enough that's right you should be ashamed that's right that's why mummy kicked you out of heaven that's right that's why god doesn't love you literally that is what we do when we tell each other and children that we're not worthy we're not good we're not we're bad we're not good enough because we're not good looking enough we're not intelligent enough we don't work hard enough we don't um believe the right religion we don't um follow the right political system everything all of it all of it is abuse all of it is abuse to a perfect child of god nobody what people think about you what people say about you means nothing but what it does when it's negative or or even when it's oh yeah you're brilliant because you play basketball better than anyone else even the positive stuff is wounding because if you say that if you oh you're so wonderful because you're so pretty to a little girl she believes that her value is based on people thinking she's pretty so we we know I've, you, there's there's a model on 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 um you can tell I'm passionate about this. Oh. The, the lack of understanding of, of how humans work is the main cause of suffering, main cause of suffering. We're doing it to each other all the time. Um, yeah, there's this famous model that uh, did a TED talk and talked about what it's like to be a model and be beautiful and be judged by your looks and how it's well known. Those model, models have low self-esteem, very, very wounded. Because even if you're telling someone or a really bright, nerdy kid, oh, you're you're so amazingly intelligent, so oh, you're so intelligent, you're going to go so far, da, 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 da. all of that is teaching him he's validated by the thoughts and, and words of others. This is absolute, I'm not going to call it evil, but it's on that end of the spectrum. It's completely damaging to the little child who needs to know that they are lovable intrinsically. The little child who already, this is the thing that people don't understand. So I understand why people do it. And obviously, bless you, I don't mean to have a go at anyone who's done this to others or their children or what have you. We all do it, we've all done it. I did it and my parents did it to me. So it's something, it's a universal, we all do it. Um, and the reason we do all do it is because we don't understand the core wound. If we knew that the core wound every person has is there must be something wrong with me because mummy and God kicked me out of heaven, we would never do this. Because as soon as you do know what I've just told you, as soon as you really know it, uh, as soon as you really embody that understanding that the core wound is I'm not good enough because we think we were kicked out of heaven or we were kicked out of heaven and we think it's because we did something wrong not because it's the natural process of childbirth and not because it's the only way God can know itself. That's the actual reason. <laughs> but we think we did something wrong. That's the problem. And once we know that we didn't do anything wrong, there's nothing wrong with us. God still loves us. Mummy still loves us. But we had to come out of the womb. Once we really understand that, we will never, 
um, teach someone that their intrinsic worthiness depends on what other people think about them. It's the worst thing in the world. It's the worst thing in the world. If you take one thing away, please take this. You are a perfect child of God and it doesn't matter. I, I don't give a fuck what anyone says about you. I don't give a fuck and you shouldn't give a fuck. You are a perfect child of God. Always have been, always will be, can't be anything else. <laughs> you can't be anything but perfect. You can't be anything but divine because that's what you are. So please never listen to what people tell you about yourself. Know yourself. Anyway, right, rant over. So, so what's the solution to it all? Okay, so it's a five-step solution, which starts with, and, and because it starts with this, this is the most important one. This is the one that all of your effort is. This is new to you, and you're you're now like, yes, okay, I'm on it. I want to self-actualize. I want to master myself. I want to remember myself as God. This is what we were talking about yesterday. Yet yeah, I've made the commitment. I've made the decision. The only way to save the world, save the world is for enough of us to self-actualize. I want to shine my light in the darkness and curse it not, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, the, the, th the thing you should be most focused on initially is noticing. Nothing else is going to happen unless you are able to notice your fear, your wounded child, your mental patient when it is running you. It all depends on that. Everything else I'm going to say is meaningless unless, you, unless you're able to do this. And noticing is the first step or awareness or conscious. That's what it, when people say I'm conscious, they usually mean they fucking eat vegan and dress in a certain way and believe certain politics. That's bollocks. What conscious means is that you are consciously aware of your state throughout the day. You're consciously aware if you're afraid. You're consciously aware if you're frustrated, angry, whatever it is you are, you're not just in the mood, you're not just frustrated, you're not just afraid, you're consciously aware that you're afraid. In other words, you notice, oh, I'm in fear. Oh, anger is arising. Because remember, you're not your emotions. You don't, you're not, it's not, I'm angry. That's, that's the statement of, of one who is identified with their emotions. That's the statement of ego. That's the statement of false self. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm frustrated. I'm bored. I'm depressed. I'm, you're identifying yourself with an emotion. That is, that is the lie. That is the error. It's anger is arising. Pain is arising. Fear is arising. Sadness is arising. These are things that are arising within you. Once you start to see it that way, that's noticing. That's noticing. Oh, fear is arising. I'm having fearful thoughts. I'm having angry thoughts. I'm having judgmental thoughts. That's noticing. And that is the first step. And noticing is a, a function of consciousness. How conscious are you? Are you aware or are you just so identified with your thoughts? Are you so in your head that they just puppet you? Because that is the state of most people most of the time. We just listen to our thoughts and do what our thoughts tell us to do. 
it's madness. We're, we're insane. The monkey mind, you can't stop it. It's going by itself. It's never right. It's always judging. It's always speculating. It's always having expectations. It's always telling stories. It's always rationalizing and justifying bullshit. It's always lying. Yet we let it run us. We let it puppet us. We let it run our lives. This is why the world is in the state it's in. So the first thing we need to do is notice that. Again, Eckhart Tolle, if you read The Power of Now, he says all of this in there. I read it 20 years ago and I knew it was true then, but I went right back asleep like ev almost everybody who reads that book does. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, yeah, so true, so true. And then they just go back to it because it's so profound how identified we are with thought. We can have Eckhart Tolle tell us, we, you can have me tell you and still just go straight back to it. So I just want to point that out. This is why noticing is so important. The first step, and the way I say it is, don't believe yourself. I don't believe myself. When I hear myself talking to myself, I immediately know not to listen to myself. I don't believe myself. That voice is a fucking liar <laughs> and a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's a fucking idiot liar. If you have that attitude towards the voice in your head that you can't shut up, if you have that attitude towards your monkey mind, you will do well. It's a fucking idiot liar. That's the attitude to have towards that, because up until now, you thought it was you. You thought this voice was you. And so it's been puppeting you and just, you know, leaf in the wind, just blowing you around here, there and everywhere. But if you think see it as a fucking idiot liar and not you, you're on the right path. But anyway, one way or another, however you do it. And actually, the way we do it is making a home in the breath. Making a home in the breath is a practice of presence. And presence is the same as consciousness. To be present means that you're actually here. You're conscious of your state. You can you can be aware that certain types of thoughts are arising. You can be aware that certain types of emotions are arising. You can be aware that you're having certain perceptions, certain sensations. That is consciousness. And it takes cultivation. The more you practice, I've been practicing for three years. The more you practice, the more consciousness is available to you in the moment, the more energy, the more presence, the more aliveness. So you notice more and more and more. You notice more and more subtle, passive, aggressive little things, more and more little tricks you play in yourself, more and more little lies you say to yourself. Most people have no idea of themselves. They don't know themselves at all. I didn't. I didn't know myself at all. But I started to practice and after a few months, and after a year and after a year and a half, I was like, fuck, you know, I do this. I do that. I think this. I think that. I started to see it all. Now I know myself inside out and I can't trick myself. I can't get bullshit in the back. Of course I can. And bullshit does still get in the back door occasionally, but hardly at all because I'm, I'm used to it now. I know it. I know my own tricks. I, I'm one step ahead of myself. And that only comes from developing your presence, developing your consciousness so that you come a noticer. So if you take one thing away from this, focus on becoming a noticer, somebody who notices if they are having fearful, anxious, angry thoughts, judgmental. Usually, I mean, everyone feel, knows when they're feeling bad, but it's the thoughts that do the damage. 
the bad feelings are translated into monkey mind thoughts. You know, when you, you know, when you sit there and you, you have a whole conversation with yourself about what some you should have said to someone or what you're going to say to someone. Yeah, we've all done that. Right. That's madness. <laughs> That's madness. If, if you had that conversation out loud, people would say you were mad. Right. If we if we had the conversations we had in our head out loud, we would all look as mad as we are. We would all look insane as we are. Just because it's silent in your head, we will walk around thinking that we're sane. We're not sane. We're mad. We're mad. And the first step is to notice our madness. Notice. Notice the fear. Notice how afraid you are. Notice how afraid you feel. And uh, in this, uh, in the relaxing the contraction thing, uh, the best thing to notice is that you're not breathing properly. It's the most immediate way, because every time you're getting negative thoughts in the head or, or thoughts in the head, monkey mind thoughts in the head, every time there is fear, the breath always stops. The breath, you either hold your breath or it's really shallow because you tighten up around here and you don't breathe properly. So if you want a point of focus to notice, notice your breathing. Notice your breathing. Notice your breathing. Really, really get into that. This is how I started. I really, really focus for weeks on noticing my breathing. That's the easiest way. That's the simplest way. Notice when you're not breathing properly or when you're holding your breath, because every time you are, you will then notice it's because you're in your head every single time. And then you can go, ah, no, ah, uh, uh, no, not listening to you. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to make a home in the breath. I'm going to come down into my body. I'm going to be present. And then you're on the road to healing. That simple shift of noticing your breathing, recognizing that you don't want to listen to what the thoughts in your head are saying and choosing to make a home in the breath and become present. That is the key. That is the key. That simple practice. Notice your breathing. Don't believe yourself. Don't give energy to believing and listening to the thoughts that are going on in your head. Choose instead to make a home in the breath and become present. Choose instead to be here now rather than being in the past, the future and the mind. That's it. That little nugget I've just told you, focus on that. That is the, the path to, to self-actualization. <laughs> the second aspect of this I've already talked about, and it kind of has to come first. Noticing is the most important thing, but you're not going to really dedicate yourself to noticing until you've done this thing, which is take radical responsibility for your experience radical responsibility for your experience what that means is just decide just decide right now that everything under your skin or i'll say it for myself everything under my skin is mine other people can certainly trigger it but it was there before they came along it belongs to me my unhappiness, my fear, my pain, my judgments, my beliefs, my doubts, my hatred, my self-loathing, my guilt, my shame, all of it, it's mine. It's mine. Stop blaming others for your experience. Just stop. 
You don't have to do, go on a course. You don't have to go on a retreat. You don't have to read a book. Just stop. Just decide right now the truth. Everything under your skin is yours. Everything under my skin is mine. That's the truth. It's the simple, undeniable truth. So I am going to live by the truth. I'm going to stop living the lie of blame. The lie of blame. It's a lie. Every time we blame someone else for how we're feeling, we're lying to ourselves and we're lying to the world and we're lying to them. Stop lying. Be truthful. Everything under my skin is mine. Radical responsibility. Because when you blame someone else for what is under your skin, you identify as a victim. And victims are powerless by definition. So you are literally, every time you blame, you are literally disempowering yourself to do anything about the state that you're complaining about. It's You're literally saying, I feel terrible. It's the world's fault, the government's fault, my dad's fault, my mum's fault, this put my partner's fault. When you do that, you're saying, hey, I'm going to guarantee that I'm going to continue to experience this thing I don't want to experience. That's what you do when you blame. You make yourself a victim and you give your power away. And we do it all the time. Everybody does it all the time. Completely disempowered by blaming. So instead of blaming, radical responsibility. Take responsibility for everything under your skin. And the benefit of that is that now you can do something about it. Now you are responsible. Responsible, response-able. You are able to respond. When you give away your responsibility by blaming, you're a powerless victim. You doom yourself to misery. When you own everything under your skin, you claim it, you own it, you take responsibility. Now you can do something about it. Now you can heal. Now you can change. Now you can grow. But only when you own everything under your skin and stop blaming people for what you experience. Just stop doing it. And your life will completely transform. Number three, presence. Uh, so noticing radical responsibility, presence. That is what comes, that third step that I spoke about. Noticing, don't listen to yourself, make a home in this breath, be here now. I've talked about this so many times. But basically, once you've taken responsibility for everything under your skin and started to practice noticing, the next step is learning to be here now or remembering <laughs> i should say because when you're a baby you are here now yeah it's our original state is presence in the moment in the body it's only as we developed the monkey mind that we started living in the past and the future and speculation and expectation and bullshit our natural state is to be here now so you're practicing remembering being here now that is presence you're practicing presence you're practicing just
and you'll notice that I'm always smiling when I do this, when I practice. Because presence is peace. It's it's inner peace. It's freedom from me. It's just that alone makes it good. That alone makes it desirable, enjoyable. A quiet mind. Don't you want a quiet mind? Only ten ninety nine at Walmart. <laughs> um, so yeah, be here now. Ramdas said it best. Make a home in the breath. Develop your presence. Notice. Take responsibility. Make a home in the breath. Develop your presence. All of these steps um, allow you to do the two things that um, will grow you from a scared little boy or girl that is constantly projecting their pain and constantly avoiding their fear and denial of their fear into a, a mature human adult. That's all it is. Enlightenment <laughs> is just being a mature human adult. It's just being someone that doesn't use coping mechanisms, that learns from their pain by being with it and walks through and faces their fear. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. It's the fact that we do the opposite of that all the time, all of us, that the humanity is in such a state. We're two-year-olds. It's growing up. Grow up. Learn from your pain. Be with your pain. Grow up. Face your fear. Grow up. That's all it is. Just grow up. And these, this is the way to do it. This is the simplest, easiest. Anyone can do it. Straightforward. Easy to understand. Five steps to doing it. Notice. Take radical responsibility for everything under your skin. Practice making a home in the breath. Be here now. Presence. Four. This is the, the one that is kind of spiritual. <laughs> All the rest of it is very straightforward and down to earth, I think. This is where it gets spiritual. Allowance. Allowance is the key to turning simple practice, simple cultivation of consciousness and presence into back into God, <laughs> into divinity, into number five which is shining. Allowance is what <sighs> makes me shine. I'm right now I'm in a state of allowance. Stuff is arising, but I'm not resisting anything. I'm just not resisting. I'm not judging it. I'm not suppressing it. I'm not projecting it. Just allowing it. It's ecstasy. It's ecstasy. <laughs> just allow it. Allow it, bruv. Allow it. That's it. It's just allow it. All the effort we go to 
to deal with difficult thoughts and difficult sensations and difficult emotions and difficult feelings and painful <laughs> just allow it just allow it it's ecstasy it's liberation because I'm going to talk about something, surrender your agenda. You just, I'm just surrendering any agenda, any need I have for it to be this way or that way, or not this way or not that way. Just surrender all that. Let it go and just allow. Allow everything that's under your skin, which belongs to you, just allow it. Allow it to arise and pass away, as all things do in time. This too shall pass. So just allow it to. Allowance, better than acceptance, fact. Um, and number five, shine. The shining happens by itself. If you notice, take responsibility, become present and allow, you will shine. And then you will be a net positive in the world. As long as we are projecting our pain in the world, as long as we are not facing and walking through our fear, we are a net negative in the world because we are spewing our shit, our childlike, childish, emotional and psychological bollocks. 